you can't just go into a police officer's life and say, you know, I'm here to help you. Tell me about, you know, tell me about yourself. And no one's going to want that help. The mentality in law enforcement is you're strong. You can get through things because of who you are as a police officer. But in fact, the most important thing I teach them is that you're a human being and you're affected by what you see. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. Few tell a personal career story like Mike Shockett. He became one of the youngest TV reporters in Baltimore, but bothered by covering so many grisly crime stories for the evening news, he pivoted into law enforcement as a Baltimore City police officer where he hoped that he could help people more effectively. Then Tom, his partner on patrol, got shot. Shockett used his own shirt to stanch the bleeding from Tom's gunshot wound. Immediately, Shockett suffered PTSD. His superiors told him to take the day off and then get back on the job. But he couldn't. So Shockett turned in his badge and eventually found his calling as a cantor in a large D.C. area synagogue and as lead chaplain for Virginia's largest municipal police department. In his return to the Tightrope podcast, Mike Shockett describes his role as police chaplain. After so many career twists and turns, he is doing the work of his dreams, meaningful work. We spoke with Mike Shockett in June 2018. So aside from being the cantor at Temple Rodef Shalom in Falls Church, Virginia, you were also the lead chaplain for the Fairfax County Police Department, which I believe is the largest municipal police department in the Commonwealth of Virginia? That's correct. So take us through the scope of your work supporting law enforcement. How much of your work is pastoral, tending to the emotional and spiritual needs of officers? The role as a police chaplain has evolved over the years. My job as the chaplain coordinator for our department is twofold. One is to be there for our police officers and their family members who face a trauma or crisis, and we're there to bring comfort and calm and help them through that crisis. And the second part of being a chaplain is to help the community through a crisis or a traumatic event. So over the years, as I've been doing this now for 20 years, the most important thing in my mind and in hopefully the mind of every chaplain in terms of being there for our police officers is to build relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know how much you know about police officers, but police officers, myself included, built up a wall or build up a wall around us, right, to protect us from the difficulty and the tragedies that we see day in and day out. And you can't just go into a police officer's life and say, you know, I'm here to help you. Tell me about, you know, tell me about yourself. And no one's going to want that help. The mentality in law enforcement is you're strong. You can get through things because of who you are as a police officer. But in fact, the most important thing I teach them is that you're a human being and you're affected by what you see. So building a relationship is so important. There are people in the police department that what I do on a day in and day out basis is I'm there for them just to you know, how, hey, how you doing? Go to a roll call, do a ride along and just build relationships and become a trusted companion for a police officer. Because when something does happen, because of that relationship, they will lean on me and accept my help. So you're reaching out to people who aren't in crisis. I would not be successful if I only showed up when there's a crisis. Got it. 
And that's the how a police chaplain uh, is successful is to build those relationships. And it takes years. It really takes years. I now, after all this time, have a, an amazing relationship with the chief all the way down to patrol officers. I uh, teach at the police academy, so I see every recruit that comes out of our police academy and goes into work in a district station, and so they know me. They know what I'm about. They know I've been a police officer. They know I've been shot at. They know that I've been there in the same way that handling crime, in the same way that they're handling crime, and there's a level of trust that comes with not just my role as a chaplain, but who I am as a person, and that's what I need to teach them first. Then, when something happens, I'm there for them. I'm there, I'll, I'll call them, I'll be on the scene with them, I'll help them through in the days following some tragedy. And sometimes it's just, you know, I'll hear about a police officer that was in a fight, mm. for example, and you know, maybe he's off or she's off of work for a couple of days. I will call them up, just see how they're doing, just let them know I'm thinking about them. I wanna believe that that makes a big difference. When in you the say life a fight, maybe something just not necessarily with somebody in the community, but just personally? No, no, no. I mean, like, they're on a call, and they get into a scuffle with somebody, you I know, see. trying to initiate an arrest. I see. And they get into a fight or they get hurt, um, something like that. I know what every major event that happens in our county. You know, I, I'm part of the command staff fire department, so I get the list of every event that happens twice a day, and I look at that list, and I see how my police officers are affected. So... I'm not necessarily looking at, oh, there's um, another suicide, but rather who are the officers that were first on the scene of that suicide and how are they doing having to, had, having to handle that particular call? See what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And that's what I look for. So, for example, we just had a suicide in our patrol area, in our district rather, this past week. Turns out that the person who committed suicide who was from out of town had um, a relationship, a friendship with a family member of a police officer. And so the police officer was affected, the family member was affected, and I've met with them, and I've been working on helping their family member through this difficult time. But in the course of that, the police officer who's related to this event said to me, I'm worried about so-and-so, this particular police officer at his station, who was first on the scene of the suicide, because it was a you know kind of a gruesome scene. So in my mind, one of the things that I need to do is to contact that police officer and just see how they're doing. Then they might say, oh, I'm fine. You know, it's just another day at the job. But are you able to read through that, having gone through your own crises uh, um, with well, the badge? I don't know that I can read through it. I can sense that if they're a human being like I am, you know, and they are, that they're going to be affected in some way, even if they build up their own wall around them. But just for me to say to them, hey, I'm thinking about you. I just want to make sure you're doing okay. So even if they don't take you up on it, they it, there's some level of, you got my back. Exactly, exactly. That I'm there for them, and they know that there's someone there for them that's thinking about them. That's what I missed when I was a police officer. Nobody did that for me, right? and I really wish they would have. So that's part of your purpose, I guess. Yeah. When we were first doing the pre-interview, I mentioned to you I got friendly with a patrolman where I live in Prince William County, uh, Virginia. And I said to him um, at the car wash, because you always see cops at the car wash. And I said, I hope you have an uneventful day. And he turned to me and he kind of looked in horror like I hate uneventful days because uneventful days turn eventful. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of police officers get into it, as I did, um, because they want the events to happen. They want to go on those events. But those events take a toll. 
I think what you said is really important. You know, we, we want police officers to have a quiet day because we don't want them to get hurt. Right. On the other hand, they don't want a quiet day. They want to get into stuff because that's why they became a police officer. But they don't want to get hurt either, but they want to get into stuff and be the superhero that solves crimes and helps people through tragedies. And that happens on a regular basis. I mean, our police officers, even here in Fairfax County, they handle stuff all the time that can be really difficult on the human spirit. You know, whether they see a domestic where someone is just living in a terrible kind of tragedy where they're afraid to even be with their spouse and, you know, you have to pull someone out of the house or you go to a car crash and, you know, someone is critically injured or dead and, you know, you weren't able to help them in a way that you wanted to and Mm. it just shocks you, you know, to your core. Or you get called even though you're, you know, your first 10 hours on the street is quiet and then there's a robbery that happens and your adrenaline is pumping and you're racing to the scene and you're trying to solve that crime. I mean, this just is a challenging, challenging job because you can go from zero to 60 in a moment's notice and you always have to be prepared. And you add on top of that all the stuff that's going on in our country right now in terms of how focused we are on law enforcement with cameras and you know iPhones and other cameras that are that are created that are watching everything a police officer does right that takes a toll on the morale of the police officer too so you have that you have the eyes watching that person you have the fact that some of them are adrenaline junkies and when that autonomic sense kicks in the fight or flight mm-hmm. they're able to act but are they able to reason and i guess you know, I, I think this gets into some of the concerns that people have. I think most people know about a, a traffic stop in St. Paul, was it last year, where a gentleman got stopped. He told the patrolman, I have a weapon in the trunk. I don't remember all the details, but that gentleman got shot and ultimately died at the scene. Actually, interestingly enough, earlier in my career, that was two blocks from where I used to work in St. Paul. Mm. And that, that really struck me because it was never a violent neighborhood. Was that the one that was live on Facebook? Where yes. The, the, the driver yeah, the was the girlfriend. The girlfriend yeah. was, yeah, doing, sure. was, was streaming it live on Facebook. And I don't remember um, what happened to that police officer. Do we know? Do you remember if he ended up I, being fired or charged or anything? I, do, I thought he was acquitted. Acquitted, okay. I thought he was acquitted. Whether or not he's still on the Falcon Heights Police Force, I don't know. The biggest problem with all of these incidents that we hear on the news is we only hear snippets. Right. We don't know the whole story. I do believe in cameras for police officers, uh, body cameras, and our department is is experimenting with them now. But when you can really see what happened, then a camera is a really great thing. The downside of cameras are when only a snippet makes it on the news, and it's maybe a snippet that doesn't tell the whole story. I I don't know what happened in that case, but all of those incidents, I believe, have caused a detrimental effect on the morale of our nation's police officers. Some officers for good reasons, are more careful in what they do and, and, and the kind of force that they use. But it also could get police officers hurt or killed, too, if they hesitate and not take the appropriate action because they're worried about, is this going to make the news, right? right? And that's a difficult thing, too. I can tell you that we've had incidents recently, even this week, in Fairfax County, where a police officer decided not to use lethal force, but to use other methods in order to you know, initiate an arrest or or get someone to to get under control. And that's a good thing, but it could also go the other way too. I just heard on the radio yesterday that there was a police officer that shot and killed someone in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, I don't know the events that led to that, but 
we all hope and pray that doesn't happen. Nobody wants a police officer to kill someone or to use lethal force in any way. But you have to go home every day. And our police officers are taught that. I was taught that. You have to go home every day. Are we screening new officers well? I believe so. Uh, At least in Fairfax County, you know, our officers are very well screened from a long background investigation that includes a polygraph and all of those kinds of things. I would hope that the departments around the country do the same thing and that uh, we put police officers on the street for the right reasons, not someone that just wants to chase bad guys, go fast, use the lights and siren, uh, or carry a gun, because that authority that a police officer is given can go to their head very quickly and they can get a sense of power that would be the opposite of what it means to be a police officer. We want police officers to have authority, but not necessarily to bring unconditional power to the citizenry out there. I want to get back to the pastoral element of your work and ask you about what it's like to engage with people who are bereaved, who perhaps an officer was shot or killed, or perhaps he or she was involved in a shooting that caused injury or death. You had mentioned to us that you try to get to know officers before these things happen. But what's that like for the layperson who doesn't really understand police work, or for that matter, what you do? What's it like? It's very challenging. I do believe that police officers, when they do lose someone that another police officer, for example, or a family member, that my job is to remind them that they're a human being and they're allowed to feel. When we had two police officers that were killed in our Sully station out in the Centerville area back in 2006, we had police officers that, you know, showed their emotions. You know, we would sit together and they were heartbroken that, you know, their two fellow officers were, you know, murdered. And we need to let officers feel that way. They can't repress their feelings. That will turn into PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we have to normalize the emotions that are felt during these kinds of incidents. And we have to let people know that it's okay to feel sad, that you are going to, you may feel various symptoms that remind you, first and foremost, that you're a human being and that you're allowed to feel great emotion when something tragic happens. You, in our previous episode, talked about that pivotal event with you being a Baltimore patrolman and responding to your partner's injury and how badly you felt by your own treatment by your higher-ups. So how is all of that experience of pain and suffering that you felt and neglect from an organization that was really meant to take care of you, how has that informed the work that you do as a chaplain? Well, I think that when I was a police officer and I was involved in a shooting and my partner was shot, what goes through your mind is dealing with the event at that moment. I don't think I was scared or sad or emotionally distraught when my partner was shot because what happens to you is you, you know, that adrenaline kicks in and you're, you have a job to do. I have to get Tom to safety. Right. I have to make sure that he is taken care of. And we have to make sure that the threat is over. And it's not until after everything is over that then you feel the enormity of what you just went through. And that's when I believe the police chaplain, a police psychologist, a peer support person, which we have in our county, all three of those units, 
can be there for you to, number one, remind you that what you're feeling is common. It's not abnormal to feel sad after going through that. It's not abnormal to re replay in your mind what you, um, what you experienced. It's not abnormal to feel upset or sad or to not want to eat or to eat too much or, you know, all those kinds of things. But rather, you just went through this huge trauma and uh, you need to take care of yourself. And here are ways to take care of yourself. And here are ways to think about what needs to be done. And there are studies that say that debriefing after an event like this at a particular time with people that have experienced the same thing you experienced will help mitigate the PTSD. So we might have a debriefing with members of that squad that just went through something. We might have a one-on-one -on -one counseling session with someone to help them you know, talk about what they went through. And some of those studies have shown that that does help mitigate PTSD. There are other studies that say that talking about it too much could cause you to relive the incident, which is not good too. And so we use it sometimes. We use those things called critical incident stress management. Is there some point in your process where you say, you know what, maybe we need to bring in a department psychotherapist? This is beyond my pay grade, or this is getting into areas where we have to deal with some very specific things? Well, all three of our helper units, so the chaplains, our peer support team, and our police psychologists in our department, all work together. We're part of a unit called Incident Support Services. So when something happens and Incident Support Services is activated, that means all three of us are activated. So if there's a shooting where a police officer is shot, our dispatcher will contact the chaplains, the police psychologists, and the peer support team. And we all have jobs to do. I'm not a mental health professional. Right. I don't see police officers on a recurring basis for psych psychotherapy. But our police psychologists will. So if I'm working with someone and I realize that they need mental health professionals to work with them on a regular basis, I'm going to refer them to our police psychologist. And likewise, our police psychologist has referred people to me or one of our other chaplains when they're dealing with some kind of a spiritual issue. Our peer support team is there to provide logistical support. They're going to stay with an officer who just was involved in a traumatic event and make sure they're okay. They're going to bring family members to them or they're going to deal with their physical needs. So all three of us kind of work together to make sure that our officers are taken care of. That was not in place in the 1980s in Baltimore. This seems unique to me, but is it being done by other police departments? It is a model, but it, and it also is being done by other police departments. I was, I was a chaplain also for the FBI in the Washington field office, and uh, they had the same model. So the FBI works the chaplaincy program, the police psychologists and the peer support team all come under their employee services unit. I forgot what it's called. And when an event happens for an FBI agent, the same three teams kind of roll out to be there. So I think it is the model. Not every police agency can do that because they don't have the resources, but that is the model. That is the way that I would want police office, police agencies to interact and provide care for their employees. You have to care about your employees. You have to do that. You know, these police officers are putting their life on the line every day. And you, as an agency head, a police chief or a department, have to care about your employees. How do you impart empathy? How do you get somebody who's carrying a gun, carrying a badge, who may be working in a community that's rough, where there is an opposition to the police being there? How do you get a police officer to tap into some sense of empathy? And is that something that you get involved in? I think police officers are very empathetic, actually. Over time, police officers who 
are involved in a lot of stress events, critical incident stress or even cumulative stress, the stress of burnout of the job, burnout of the just uh, the judicial system, or you know they don't like their supervisors and they get burnt out that way, they might have a difficult time being empathetic to the people that they are dealing with. But I do believe that a police officer, if they're not empathetic, they're not doing their job well. The first thing I think a police officer needs to do when they arrive at a scene of someone who is under great stress, whether it's a car accident or a domestic assault, that they need to come in there and uh, make sure that someone is okay. And if they don't ask that first question, are you okay? They're not doing their job. You'd mentioned that you'd done some work for the FBI, and it made me think of former director Comey, Jim Comey. And I guess most people in the news know him for other reasons, but the one thing that impressed me about him was when he was director of the FBI, he required all special agents, agents and special agents, to bear witness to the Holocaust by touring the U.S. Holocaust Museum. It was to him very, very important to see this is what happens with lawlessness. This is what happens when we lose the structures of our community and government. You seem to agree with that. And I had read that you had also encouraged people to do the same. Why is that? I agree. I think, well, the ADL does have a program where they encourage police departments to uh, take tours of the Holocaust Museum with their recruits. And we, in Fairfax County, we were doing that for a number of years. I don't think we do it anymore, and I think it's uh, only because an issue of time, mm. uh, trying to squeeze everything in. I think Washington, D.C.'s police officers go through the Holocaust Museum. I think when you see how becoming a person of authority can lead to a person who is uh, in power that can do such grave things to individuals in a community, mm-hmm. to see what it means to wear that badge and how someone wearing that badge, at least in the time of Hitler, all these police officers were the people that sent these Jews and others to the death camps. Um, They took them away from their families. You know, that is authority or power gone haywire. I think it's important to see that it's the opposite of what we want our police officers to be. You know, the police officers in this country are the face of the government Mm -hmm. um, that people see, you know, and when you want to interact with government, sometimes you call 911. Right. <laughs> and the police officer showing up at the scene, I believe, needs to be first and foremost someone who is there to be compassionate and empathetic and not someone to be all powerful and uh, be the judge and jury. And uh, I think going through the Holocaust Museum shows officers how power can lead to evil and not uh, to be there for goodness, which is what I think police officers sign up for now, to be there as the good guy. Well, that's encouraging. So what does the future of policing look like to you? And by extension, what does the future of being clergy to police mean to you? I think it is extremely difficult to be a police officer today. I think that's why morale is low in our country and police work. I think that's why the suicide rate for police officers is high. I think that police officers have a hard time because in many ways they feel that they're doing a job to make the world better and they don't have a lot of help. And if they do something wrong, not on purpose, there are bad police officers out there that, you know, should not be police officers, but if they're making a split second decision and if that decision ends up not being the right one, they are hung out to dry. And that has caused the morale to be at an all-time lowest. Police officers need to feel that the department and the the leadership of the the jurisdiction they work for has their back. 
and that they can count on their department to help them through a difficult, traumatic incident. And so as a chaplain, as a clergy person, we need more chaplains out there. We need more clergy to hold the hand of, of their law enforcement officers and say, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you because you are making the world a better place. You are doing sacred work. You're called to this profession, and our world is better because of you. And if we had more of those people, not only chaplains, but, you know, everybody, citizenry out there, I think our police officers uh, would be in much better shape. There's always going to be bad police officers, just like there are bad people in the world. Mm -hmm. But the majority of police officers are doing it for the right reason, which is to make the world a better place. Well, that's very encouraging. And thank you for uh, walking the tightrope with us. Cantor, Michael Shockett, you... I think you're living your dream. You you figured it all out. It it was a difficult it was a difficult journey for you, but a meaningful one. And and you finally got into a place where you're doing the work that you were intended to do, and you're finding joy in it. I wish you well. Thank I you. you well. I do believe that. I believe it's um, you know my career has been one of twists and turns, but ultimately things connect to each other. And what I do now, um, which is to help people in need, is something that uh, makes me feel whole. Well, thank you again, and I hope we can get you back on the podcast sometime soon. Thanks, Dan. Our thanks to Cantor and police chaplain Mike Shockett for walking the tightrope with us. Check out our past episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts by keywording The Tightrope with Dan Smolin. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and post your comments, like listener Angelo, who writes, I listen to The Tightrope on Saturday mornings. The guests and topics are interesting. Well, thank you, Angelo. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list by visiting dansmolin.com. And please suggest topics that you believe we should tackle in future episodes by writing us at info at From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm Dan Smolin. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone. Mm-hmm.